Hey everybody, welcome back. In today's episode of Raising Unicorns, we get real honest about creative feedback in your ads. Don't be scared of the most painful and most important part of the creative process. Successful businesses come in all different shapes, sizes, and animals. <laughs> On the Raising Unicorns podcast by Harm Brothers, we share the video marketing gold that has helped companies of all shapes and sizes grow by hundreds of thousands to hundreds of millions of dollars in sales. So if you've got a business and you're ready to use video to scale it, this episode was crafted for you. Welcome back to the podcast. I am Shane Rickard, CEO of Harmon Brothers, and I have with me today... Caitlin Snow. I'm the executive creative director. Oh, yeah. Caitlin's been at the company longer than I have been, technically. Technically, yeah. Today, we're talking about creative feedback, and that's a huge part of our process here at Harmon Brothers. From your perspective, what does it mean when we say like creative feedback that we're giving on our creative that we're working on? It's feedback from people who aren't inundated and super close to the project day to day, and they're giving feedback on how to make the ad effective. And so sometimes that feedback is structural as far as like, I don't feel like the hook is like engaging enough. And sometimes it's more with the technique of like, oh, we should try this style or these cuts and stuff. We try to bring in supports, you could say, that kind of have the 10,000 foot view or don't know the product as well. So they can give you feedback and ideally in the target, you know, demographic and stuff. But we call it our brain trust. Anytime I'm assigned a project, I make sure to ask a few people to be on my brain trust. And at different times, I check in with them and show them my script or my shot list or cut so that we can see what we're missing. Yeah. And I feel like this is one of those things like the process we have here at Harm Brothers. And just in general, I've honed this brain trust process over the years. We have a partnership with a sister company and a show called Tuttle Twins. It's a pretty crucial piece of that show as a creative. We're giving feedback on that show as well as every single one of our ads passes through this creative uh, feedback process of this brain trust. And it's, I'd say, probably one of the biggest pieces of secret sauce that we have. Like it's one of our biggest yeah. secret sauce ingredients. The foundation of the secret sauce. You yeah. Start with it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really critical. And like Caitlin said, it goes across the entire process, which we'll get into a little bit. Caitlin, can you think of any examples when it's been going through the brain trust process and the ad, once we gave that feedback, creative feedback that was implemented, instantly made the video worlds better than it was before? Yeah, I remember when I was directing Zero Res, you were the creative director on that. I came in when the script was already done and we were starting to do just like a really rough animatic like storyboard. Who gave us the feedback? Essentially, they were like, the customer should be female and the spokesperson should be male because it was it was the opposite. I think that might have been Daniel who gave us that feedback, who is the person who's actually pulling the trigger from a consumer standpoint. Yeah, which was, was which was more their demographics led female. So it was like, okay, let's make yeah. the, the proxy of the consumer female. Also, we were getting into like what we call metaphor land, <laughs> which is a scary place to be. Sometimes concepts are rooted in a analysis analogy. You have to explain the world and explain the analogy or explain who or what the product is in Mm -hmm. this world. We've had problems in the past with that. And this was one where we were just having to set up the world so much. It was this woman and her carpets relationship, but in a soap opera. And so it was like, okay, who is the carpet in the soap opera? Is it actually the carpet or is it a person? And we actually had cast, you know, a person to be the carpet, which we still kept, but we minimized a lot of that back and forth. This is an easy trap to get into. Analogies are often used in marketing to explain a complex concept and make it more like grounded. But oftentimes it just goes into this, yeah, we call it metaphor land where it just feels like, I don't know what's what anymore. And this is not like, a. this isn't like a, 
a parable anymore. This is just confusing. <laughs> right. You have to kind of think too hard. And the problem is, too, is if your concept is baked so much into the metaphor with Vivid, we had where it was old time inventions versus new time inventions. Yeah. It yeah. Didn't for, con- help. for context, we had automation has replaced jobs over the years. And we were showing all these ridiculous jobs that weren't actually real jobs. <laughs> we had like windshield wipers were replaced by automatic windshield wipers. And we had these like two dudes on the outside squeegeeing a car as he was driving down Main old Street. Old fashioned car. Yeah. yeah. You know, a scale. And it was like a nurse who was being stood on by this like huge dude and she's like 195 pounds you know ish us knowing now and time traveling back our feedback would have been like hey this is fun how much of your budget though is going to To this this one idea this one hook are there other hooks that you can do that can be incorporated throughout or can give you a better um like return essentially on how much you're using it in the video. Kind of going back to zero res when Caitlin and I were working on it, we did find have some like feedback earlier on where it changed who the spokespeople were. So it resonated more with like the target audience who was actually pulling the trigger on the actual decision making for the household. You know, we got stuck in that like analogy world where we had to pull out probably like two thirds to three quarters of all the analogy stuff. And then we made it much more grounded. So we lived in the real world. We didn't live in the analogy world. The only time we basically went into the analogy world was to make a joke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then that joke was very clearly labeled of who was who, and it was very clear, but it was mostly for the joke purposes only. And it definitely made it exponentially more clear and better. Like when we tested it with people after we had done that, it was yeah. like, oh, I get that this is like an analogy. And also it was like, you weren't like talking about the actual like attributes of the product in analogy world. You were talking about it in grounded real terms, mm-hmm. like showing water, showing the cleaning solution. You were more so going to that fantasy kind of analogy world only for the jokes, and which made it so it's like you never lost the clarity in that world because you're only doing the explaining when it was actually the physical things you were really talking about, like carpets and cleaner and all that jazz. And luckily we caught that early enough. You know, we had the relationship with the people giving us feedback to say, guys, I don't get it. Or guys, this is confusing. Oh, yeah. You well, know? <laughs> <laughs> guys, we need to clean this up. There is a certain person that works at Harm Brothers who shall remain unnamed. He is particularly known for giving very brutally honest feedback. Caitlin probably knows exactly what I'm talking about. He called me when he saw the first cut of the video and just absolutely decimated me, ripped me a new one, said it was the worst ad we'd ever made. It was just a piece of turd. It looked terrible. It felt terrible. The rhythm was off. It was confusing. It was stuck with analogy land. I had, literally had to pull out this funny story because I was driving from my mother-in-law's house to go home and he like gave me a call and I picked it up and he just went off and I like started having a panic attack on the road. I literally had to pull over to process it. I was like, oh, I'm going to get in a freaking accident because I just freaked out. As brutal as his feedback was, because we're going to get to it in a bit, there is a right and wrong way to give feedback. I would qualify that as a wrong way. Like he's like, you're a hack. You're Shane, a are you operating heavy machinery? That's the first question you <laughs> ask before giving feedback. Yeah. Are you driving a car at 80 miles an hour on the freeway. <laughs> okay, I need you to sit down for this, but like with the car stop. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely a bad way to give it. But there is a right and a wrong way. But e- even with it being like really blunt, which this individual is, even through all the like really mean parts of that, there was like a truth. We were lost in analogy land. <laughs> there was definitely some like messaging issues that were really rough. And luckily, because we fixed that, like Zero Res for three or four years after that, all the different franchises were running that ad consistently with being able to generate leads for for their service, which was really cool because that one took like a tremendous amount of lift, ended up doing additional ads for them. 
that performed really, really well as part of our campaign for them. So it just goes to show when you get really rough feedback, it even can be really late, like it was for myself and Caitlin when it's in the edit. The cake has basically already been baked with production. Going above and beyond to try and fix those problems that are in there really do pay dividends because, again, it goes back to one of those things we say all the time. The confused customer never buys. Right. And if your brain trusts to give you feedback that this is confusing and they're getting lost, it's a very good chance that every other viewer who's watching this Who's is not like, getting paid to give you feedback. Yeah, it's going to be like, <laughs> screw this ad. I'm out of here. Boop. You know, they're down to the next thing that makes more sense than that to buy. <laughs> well, and there's also been golden fun times where we've done a pass in the edit and we're sending it to people or as it gets even more finesse down the line where someone will be like, this would be a great hook. And you like didn't even think about it, you know, and then you're like, oh, you're right. We could utilize this content just because they're seeing it fresh, you know? Yeah, exactly. Which is always nice because you're like, oh, thank goodness we don't have to shoot something new (laughs) (laughs) because we don't have any budget and time left to do that. Oh, yeah, that's like super easy to just cut right here and like maybe splice this in here a little bit. Bam, you got a fresh one for sure. Fresh hook. There's actually kind of a running joke at the office that my comments seem super brutal and blunt <laughs> if you don't know me. But I always tell people, I just don't want to spend the time making flowery language like, I think it might be best if you tried to do a this right here, you know, because I'm like, we got to just be fast, you know, <laughs> I'm busy, you're busy. And it's like, to be fair to Caitlin, once people do know Caitlin like on a long-term basis and they've worked with her one-on-one, not via notes, via Frame.io or something like that, they don't feel that way. But at first, they're like, damn. Well, I'll say, <laughs> I'll say if I hate something and then I'll say why. I think I had very strong feedback with you or what was it where I said like, I don't like this thing. Like oh, very, very strongly. I think you, I don't even think you said I don't like this thing. I think I hate this, I think is what you said. <laughs> You know what? Actually, here's one example. One was the loomy feet one. And I think it was how the man and woman's relationship was where the dude was just like placing his feet on her like, rub my feet and it was like being like a tool <laughs> and like, I just, I'm a misogynist <laughs> rub like, my feet but it woman. like wasn't like an overboard enough to be funny you know what I mean it was, like it wasn't it wasn't like an anchor man <laughs> okay he's joking it was like a, I don't have a like, good vibe with this guy it's like <laughs> but I just remember commenting be like I don't like this I don't like this but it was it was subtle enough that it felt like too close to real misogyny yeah. and not over the top enough to be a bit and so it yeah. just lived in that terrible place where it's like ew that kind of feels gross like but, misogynistic but I do remember <laughs> they like changed the pacing and added some lines and with like some editing they were able to make it like feel a lot better because so I mean I could just say I hate this but that's not very good feedback like I had to explain like he's turning me off of watching this video yeah like you know, and, and like, it's here's, distracting and, and here's it's, it's why pulling you away. From yeah. This. Yeah. And so they were able to kind of come up with fixes for that. Yeah. To give credit to Caitlin, like she's always giving blunt feedback, but it's also with like motivated for here's, I think what the problem is. So they can feel like, oh yeah, I can see why you would say that. Now we can come up with creative solutions to fix it. I think like creativity has to have like a good productive feedback and brain trust. You have to have some level of like vulnerability. Every time you send it out, you're just like, I know I'm going to get the crap beat out of me. You know what I mean? Like you just have to have that attitude or else like it's just going to be devastating when you get it back because there's nothing worse than getting a brain trust feedback cut back on frame. If you guys don't know, for for context listeners, like we use a program called frame.io. It's a video service where you can upload and you can watch it and you can type in comments and be attached to time code and you can make annotations Like imagine watching YouTube and pausing three seconds into the video and then making a comment and it's tagged to that time. Yeah. And then we 
shared across with the team. And there's nothing worse than logging into a frame link that you sent out for Brain Trust Speak. It's like, you have 179 comments on this cut. And you're like, oh my gosh, because that happens a lot. But I think you have to be vulnerable and a little bit open to like, you have blind spots that you don't see. And that these people are coming in with fresh eyes to help you kind of recognize your blind spots and fix them before they ever go out into the open for the client. And so they can help you sure those up, which is like kind of the attitude we have here is like, this is to help you get this to be a lot better than it is. Yeah, it's not it's not for just praise pat on the back or else it yeah. wouldn't go anywhere. So that's not what anyone expects when they send out a brain trust link, you know? It's funny because when you look at those 179 comments, it is so relieving when you're like, oh, thank goodness, a third of them are, I like this joke, this works super well for me, or this punched yeah. hard. You're like, oh my Well, and that's also really helpful in giving feedback is what would you hate to see lost? And a lot of times, yeah, some of the comments are just ha ha. And that means when I go through my feedback and I see there's a joke and five people wrote ha ha, you know, on it, I'm like, oh, good. This one's really solid. This one's killing it, you know? So that's always helpful too, to see like what's working. And then another thing I'd say is it is super helpful to explain what your issue or problem is with it. Yeah, very articulate. Like don't give a solution without first explaining the problem because I might send this video to five people and in a spot that's not working for three people, they all just give me a solution and they're all different. You know what I mean? That's not as helpful to me until I recognize that these people are giving me solutions because something's not working for them. It's actually really relieving when there's a majority of the brain trust that is pointing to the same thing saying fix this because then I'm like, oh, good. I can move forward confidently that this is something that I should focus on and change. I think it's important that you tell exactly what is not working for you because Caitlin does this a lot on brain trust with me is I don't think this is working because X isn't clear and so it's not making Y clear on this part where this setup for this joke is, you know, for an example, like that's like, like context isn't clear. I'm not sure what she's doing here to set up for this. And so it's confusing. That's the type of stuff is is helpful to understand like, oh, again, because you're you're coming in and having the curse of knowledge and having those things be like, this was unclear to me because of X. And it's like, oh, okay, so how can we creatively fix that? Can we add a graphic? Can we add a call out? Can we add a freeze frame where we call out this like particular feature or a particular part of the frame or whatever? You show that to another audience, oh, they might not have that same issue. But making sure that that problem is really clear of why it is not working for you. In our opinion, it's optional to give a solution, but like more important of the two is for sure pointing out why it's not working for you. Is it unclear? And even down to the jokes too. What's the mechanic of the joke? Like is the mechanic of the joke that it's like, is the irony not falling for you? Or does it seem too mean spirited? What is it about right. the joke that's not Instead working? Of just, this isn't working. It's, it could be, we need a drier take. Do you have one? And if not, maybe a longer beat before the character says it will help, you know? Feedback I give often to people, I think this joke outstays its welcome. This is my personal opinion. But I feel like this is often does work in the edits is that we we film like a long joke where there's lovely improv lines or it just the joke tries to continue to go but can add people's attention span is like dude shut up next thing next yeah, thing yeah. shut up shut up shut up go and so i feel like if it outstays it's welcome i just say this is outstayed it's welcome one of our creative directors jake he'll take that feedback but he'll come up with another way to maybe not just cut it way short or just be like, oh, I'll cut this way earlier. or But he'll put in a different element in there that makes it more surprising. So the joke length might be the same length, but he makes it, adds in another element where it punches it up to where it's okay and it hasn't outstayed its welcome, but makes it funnier for that time that's on screen. Or like they can figure out if it has just outstayed its welcome and you can't make it work, you just cut it sooner. You know what I mean? And that, that sometimes, or often that works you know, to clean up that little joke section. And sometimes it's just where that joke is in relation to other jokes. Sometimes yeah. if it's yeah. like a, like you have a joke and then you're like doing a button above it, if the button doesn't 
at least equal or beat what came before, it like falls flat because it feels like you're building up to it, you know? So yeah, well, just for, for context, what Caitlin means by that is when you have a series of jokes, it's in a certain scene. If, you, if you're building one, two, three, and your two joke is really, really funny, but your three joke kind of comes wah, down wah, a notch, yeah. <laughs> that joke actually might do well somewhere else. That third joke might actually stand on its own somewhere else. But if it's right next to a really, really like killer joke, it's like a haymaker, that pretty it decent joke. It performs jokes, worse than it could have by itself. Yeah, yeah. Then you're like left with a sour note, and, you know, it's like in your mouth, the sour taste in your mouth. This joke was really good. But then we kind of came down a little bit and it was kind of like, you know. It's also helpful feedback. I've had people say before, like, this is about where I want it to end. Or like, this is where my mind started wandering, you know. And that's helpful to be like, oh, okay. So there's either the middle slow or maybe I'm spending too much time on stuff. Maybe if they've said that and it's two minutes in and it's a three minute ad and there's something that I really want them to see in that last minute. forward. Yeah, or like this section from here to here was so boring. The rest of the video, so engaging, which is really helpful because that's a huge way that I've seen our creative team think of creative solutions of how to make it more engaging, whether that's through visual effects, reordering, like you were saying, Caitlin, or just bringing in other like spices of things to punch it up, whether that's music or whether that's sound design to make it a little snappier and quippier. There's some elements of like a sales video that's not going to be like breakneck speed entertaining that we have to get in because we know they're key elements of a direct response video. It's up to us to understand where those wolves are so we can put our energy into those bits to kind of elevate them up a little bit more than they are. Yeah, and I would also say that sometimes the client will want a little bit more of a certain scene or they'll love a certain joke or or even as a creator, you might hate killing some of your babies. But oh, the more the you can leave people wanting more, I think the better job you've done because if you put everything in, it, it just takes too long. You know, and it doesn't have that momentum. I know there's a lot of jokes that I've been like, but this is so funny to me. And then the brain trust is like, but it's too long. And I'm like, well, shut up. Fine. Stupid. Fine. I'll take it out. And then in the end, I'm like, you're probably right. I think another thing to mention is the relationship that the creator has with the brain trust. So Mm -hmm. like if if it's my project and you're on my brain trust, you know, and there's, like you said, 120 comments, right? 79. Sorry, 179 comments on frame. I don't have to do all of them. Right. It's up to me to assess and look holistically at here's how these five to seven people responded. Mm -hmm. Right. Because there may be one person that has a very strong opinion about something, but that doesn't always mean that the right choice is to change the video for that one person. Sometimes they have the perspective that you need and then you're like, you know what, let's investigate this. Maybe that demographic, let's find more people like that and see if this is an outlier or not. And sometimes you get conflicting feedback on the exact same section. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like like you were saying earlier about solutions, but even sometimes like what the problem is or what's not working. And sometimes I think it's the creative's responsibility to give it real consideration and then also like give it real weight and like validity, but prototype fit ways to fix it and like does it make it better? I'd probably say like 50% of the time you come up with a solution that wasn't suggested. The comments and the solutions that people do give to you prompt the creation of something else. And I think it's helpful how we've developed kind of that process of, as you said, looking at all the feedback and and assessing it and deciding. Because I know that there's been editors in the past that are like, 179 comments, you know, and they're like, I got to go do all of them. And then they're like, but some of them conflict. And I remember working at a place where one boss would say one thing and then the other boss would say the opposite. And then I'd have to do the opposite. And then I'm like, okay, guys, you just need to get the same room and decide. You guys go and fight it out with some (laughs) cool cues, snap it in half, have some tryouts. (laughs) You let me know. See who wins. Yeah. So what we actually do is, 
which I like is the creative director will go through and thumb up, you know, the comments from the brain trust that they want the editor to action on so that the editor's not overwhelmed. You know, the editor doesn't have too many people to try to make happy. I think that's the big thing is like the brain trust isn't about trying to make everyone happy. Mm -hmm. It's about finding commonalities of places that are working and aren't working. From fresh eyes. Mm -hmm. From Mm -hmm. fresh eyes. It's interesting because we'll do stuff with creative feedback for audiences who are in the target audience that aren't necessarily inside our internal team and get feedback there, which you process that very differently because our internal team is very much focused on the structure of the sale, the clarity of the messaging. We do something called a laugh graph where we'll take it out to like an audience and we'll let 30 or 40 people watch the video. We'll record them while they're watching the video and we'll make a graph of like where they laugh and what jokes. Like that's like comedically what's working, right? And that's like to the lay person, but then our team is going to be giving much more specific like feedback on clarity and structure and length and how convincing is this? How could you up the clarity on this? And does this need a graphic for clarity, you know, or things like that? Just take the feedback in different contexts to improve the creative. But I think they're they're both really important parts of the process. For the Chosen Sucks Hero campaign, I did a lot of focus group stuff, you know, and with our animatic and then afterwards with some of the rough cuts, I think that the best questions to ask them was, and this is not just with that product, with any product, it's asking them, what is the product? What yeah. what can it do for you? Because it's amazing how sometimes that gets missed because of the curse of knowledge. people are idiots. Because <laughs> you just, because <laughs> like you, there's so much to say. You know, you don't say the first thing. And I wanted to make sure there was a different kind of concept where there's the devil and he's showing clips of this show. Right. It's like a commercial for a show, but it's not a trailer, but it shows some of the clips. So it's like a meta trailer, you know? Yeah. And uh, I wanted to make sure... There's a lot of breaking points in that, like, Weight mode of presentation that could definitely lose go people. Wrong. <laughs> yeah, go and so I wanted to make sure they got it. Like, what is this commercial about? How do you watch it? You know, I'd also ask, what does was it the... actually look good, or do you agree with the devil that it looks <laughs> stupid? <laughs> well, also because of the devil, and I mean, people have strong feelings about religion, and and so I also we ask, okay, what if anything was offensive? So we were able to kind of reel in certain things. and Yeah, because I don't know if you know this, but comedy writers don't have a great barometer of what's offensive and what's not. I think they do. That's why they, they make <laughs> things that are funny as they cross the line. <laughs> or, or, or they, what? As Johnny says, you, you have to cross the line to know where it is. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny Vance is one of our writers who's worked for over for a long time and loves to cross lines. But Johnny crosses usually lines in writer's room first. That's true. <laughs> and then yeah, tries yeah, yeah. to pull it back. But yeah, like that's the thing. We're always trying to push that line like with our content specifically, I guess is the point I was trying to make. But then we try and know exactly what, how to tow that line and like always try to stay as close as we can to that line because that's what really makes the comedy really work or the concept really sticky without full-fledged crossing over and alienating your, your target audience potentially. Right. And then there's also the danger of the other side, which is watering things down and not taking risks, right? Which I think is worse. (laughs) Well, you know, because we had a really cool idea with a client that they had suggested that we were working on. But later they, I think, read some articles and were worried about kind of a social component, which it's good to be, you know, aware aware of those things. But it watered it down so much that it ended up, you know, not being the standalone that they wanted it to be and that they had asked for it to be, which was just unfortunate because, uh, you know, our, our hands were tied and that they didn't want to take that risk. Yeah. And so, you and know. And then it became milk toast. So 
Here's your lukewarm milk. Toast. I know what she's talking about. She's she's withholding the client's name on purpose, but it was awesome. Like the original concept and script, because I gotta I gotta read it. And it was it would have been really fun to film. It would have been like way different than anything I've seen for that product category. But yeah, they latched really hard on. I don't want to say woke issue, but it was you know a social issue that was just scared the crap out of them. You know, and they're like, well, we, what if it just became like a, you know, a Charmin commercial? Actually, Charmin's probably way too, too adventurous because there's, no- there's a pooping bear in that one. That's like right up there. What, what if we could just make it like a Tide commercial? I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> it's funny that Charmin is now like edgy. It's like, there's a cartoon bear that poops. <laughs> Watch too edgy. Out. Winnie the Pooh had a shirt. This one doesn't. This one doesn't. And it takes a shit on camera. <laughs> You show a close-up of the bear's face when it wipes itself. Well, don't they, don't they usually have, like, the toilet paper around the bum, and the bum is, like, they're, like, shimmying across the toilet paper? I don't know. If I haven't seen that version, I want to now. I'm pretty sure that's the version I grew up with. I know they have those ones where, like, the bear's, like, wiping its butt. It's, like, after it's done, like, its business stands up, and then it does a close-up on its face where it's, like, mm, makes this, like, <laughs> little face, like, while it's supposed to be wiping its butt. And I'm, like... <laughs> It's not even like, it's not graphic, but this is so upsetting. Like, like, I'm watching They're just trying to show the benefits of the product, Shane. You're just going to giggle yourself to death after using that wipe. I know. It's just like, "Mm." I don't think I've ever wiped my butt before. I've been like, "Mm." Mm. that was so nice. (laughs) I'm going to give this little smirk and a little like swirly line coming off in an animated way. We get the question a lot of what's the point in the process that you should give feedback? And I think it depends on the type of feedback is what I would say. I think that each stage has kind of like benchmark stages, what I would say is concepting, then like the writing phase, then the pre-production phase. Which can include casting or the animatic or your shot list. There's lots of things in there. And then even in post, because I think a lot of people think, of, oh, I'm going to give feedback on this when it gets in post. But I think the most fundamental, like critical feedback really is in the concept to me. Because if you get your concept wrong, and it's the wrong concept right from the get-go, you got the wrong foundation that might be just completely off base, doesn't work well with your product, doesn't work well with the messaging overall that you want to go with. So it has to be the right concept, which that even starts before we ever do our writing retreat for their clients. It's creative directors like Caitlin or myself who are going in prepping writers and giving them guidelines of what this concept needs to be and not be from like a very, very high level. As far as the different stages, it just depends on where you are because obviously you're not going to dash down creative ideas when you're like too expensive. You want to give them like creative flexibility to flex a little bit in each part of the stage. But it's also if you see something that's going to be wildly problematic in budget, that that's not even possible even with a creative solution. Like, yeah, it's in the writing process. You'd be like, you shouldn't anchor this whole video around this because that's going to be very expensive. I wish that was feedback that I would have been given early on of like, this intro is going to be really expensive and it might not test super great and you're putting a lot of eggs in one basket. I would come up with a different intro or several different intros that you could pour this amount of money into and have more testing variables that would be more efficient. As you were talking, I was thinking of Covenant Eyes, of how you guys came back from the retreat with the idea of those the porn monster the, por- the little yeah the little guy like on on someone's shoulder right yeah. as much as there were some catchy things i was in that brain trust and i was having a hard time wrapping my mind around what did this mean and and i think some of the connotation too of people being like 
oh, if you look at porn, you are growing a, a tumor gremlin. monster. <laughs> yeah, like on your <laughs> you shoulder. Know? And I know that that was a hard one that you, and you guys had to pivot a lot, but I think it landed in a great place where yeah. you have superpowers, but you have weaknesses. You have a support group to help you with your weaknesses, right? Or yeah. maybe weakness is the wrong way to put it, but just something that they wanted to eliminate from their life. Yeah, for, for context, the, the script Caitlin's talking about, we came out of a writing retreat where we had this, it was like a shoulder gremlin kind of a thing. It was supposed to be kind of a parasite that was on his shoulder, like kind of biting on him, like kind of saying things in his head that the person didn't want to like think a certain way about women or objectify women. And the intent from like the writer was to like personify it in a way where it was separate from the individual, like it was an outside influence, which I think was the right intent because we didn't want people who struggled with pornography or like objectification of women feel shamed. What we found out through brain trust feedback very quickly after the retreat was that even though it was external to them and made them feel like they were gross and that they were like, they as an individual, like had this growth on them that was still associated closely with them that it made the person feel shamed. Like Caitlin said, we pivoted to, it was more of like a Superman kryptonite type of a idea that like certain things that drain us in our life that pull us down that we want to eliminate. Doesn't he call it pornonite? Yeah, he calls the... it pornonite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we looked at it as more like a storytelling device, more like a disembodied adversary like Sauron is in like the Lord of the Rings. Like even though he's not like a, a person, but like his presence is there and like we want to avoid him and get away from him. And like, kind of separated enough to where the person doesn't feel like we're shaming the individual with the thing that they're struggling with. So like imagine if you're like, I got the sign off from the client. You didn't do a brain trust. Yeah. You like moved in to pre-pro and you were a month in and you had the shoot dates and everything locked and wardrobe and every you know everything and that would have been not good, right? We love checking in on the concepts before we even have the writers pitch it to the clients. Once we come back from the writing retreat, we always tell the Solid clients in there. we're going to check in with people with the brain trust there and then send it back to the client and say, here's, you know, kind of the changes we've made. We may have talked about this in other podcasts, but we'll have what's called a second CD, who's just kind of there almost as a mini brain trust throughout this whole project. Yeah, just gut check different decisions. Yeah. yeah. Throughout pre-production, I'll ask the second CD or when I've been the second CD, they'll be like, hey, can you look over my shot list? Am I missing something? You know? Yeah. Hey, can you be on set and just kind of look out for things while I'm directing and my mind's like in 80 bazillion places, 179 places at once. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's also, I think, really helpful because then that way you're catching as early as, as it, yeah, as early as possible. Because at some point when you're showing the edit, the feedback of like, oh, that was the wrong casting choice. Like, <laughs> is it really going to be helpful. I hate when people leave that. It's like, I don't like her. It's like, well, that's all. The, she's the only one we filmed. So Although, thanks, Dum Dum. <laughs> we did have a situation, you might recall, where there was an actor that they weren't liking, which was problematic because they were one of the pitch people. Yeah. And so we actually did a pickup where we tried to make that character more likable. You know, so oh, in, And we in shifted this, more to the dad. Yeah. And so like in, in this example of, oh, this character isn't likable, that's the problem, right? The yeah. solution isn't, I should prescribe cast someone else yeah. like they've already filmed it and edited it but there were still other solutions like okay we can shift to the other pitch person or, or go through other takes we where can she do... might feel not so mm-hmm. like you know might not be as rough in some other takes or and even pick up some voiceover if mm-hmm. if there's maybe wording and yeah maybe we pick up this shot where it feels more inviting or whatever 
Yeah, and I think that it's interesting. There's certain pivots that we've done at certain stages in the game based on feedback because I felt a couple of times, for instance, that Kevin and I's example, when that feedback was in there, like, because usually when we're done with the script at a, after a writing retreat, it's like you're full scale in pre-production. You're running 100 miles an hour. And so then like have a week of brain trust feedback where I'm testing it out. I'm going into lots of different people, like both in the our internal brain trust and going to external. I was going to like, like 12-step Sexaholics Anonymous meetings, talking to the those people and seeing if it like didn't work. When I like got the realization like this will not work for what we're doing, that it was very daunting to go back and be like, freak, we got to redo this whole thing. Like we got to do the, the scripting process again. It's going to be costly. It's going to delay production. But like if you find you've got something that's fundamentally broken in your concept or the script that you have to go back and do a rewrite, it is far less costly to do that then than try and do it once you've shot the stupid thing. Yeah. You know and, I mean? and more effective. Oh, way more. You know, to get it right in the writing and not try to fix it later. If you're going to fail, you want to fail early and fail quickly. You are realizing as few costs in the failed avenues and most of your costs are going to develop the right concepts, the right jokes, the right, the right copy for your video. That's a huge one. And so don't be afraid of pivoting. Don't be afraid of pivoting. And if you really feel like you've got the right intel and the right kind of feedback, it's like, we need to pivot. That's critical because if you don't, man, the cost is way higher if you get your piece of content wrong. This still happens from time to time on our brain trust that people will give feedback. It's like, the audio isn't very good here. It's like, that's because it hasn't gone through an audio pass. <laughs> or so like, the color looks bad. It's like, this is not final color. <laughs> well, actually, that, that brings a good point, though, is to prep your audience for what you're looking for. Yeah. Like, I mean, you don't want to lead the witnesses, they say, but whenever we send something to a client, we'll say, hey, you're looking for the rhythm and the messaging. Yeah. You know, is are there parts that feel long or boring? Are we misrepresenting your brand? Is a joke not landing? Because sometimes they'll say the, the, the color looks yeah. weird, you know? And so we explain, like, we'll do the color after and we'll, we'll add more sound design after, you know, and different things like that. I think it's yeah. helpful. So depending on who you're asking for feedback, it can be good to give those caveats, right? Yeah. Sometimes it's even distracting to people. It's like, again, the color's off here. Again, it's like they think they're being helpful. But it's like, no, dude, I wish you would have been, like, accepting this as being not finished and then looking at these four or five elements of the video that I really do need to work on while I'm at this stage. Yeah, does this convince you of the product? Are you right. entertained? You know, does it make sense what it is? Do you know where to go to buy it? Exactly. Like, kind of circling back on what we said earlier, I really feel like this is part of our secret sauce here at Harmon Brothers is this brain trust feedback. You have to have an attitude of humility because it's going to hurt because anytime you're putting creative out there for someone to get feedback, it's hard not to take it as a critical assessment of your own work as a creative. And it's easy to take offense to it and also dismiss it as a self-defense mechanism. If you look at it in the view of like, they're just trying to polish up your content, they're hel helping you try and see those shortcomings. Like that is massive. When you make the switch goes over to like, they're trying to help me. Each new comment, this is a way if I address this, my video will be that much better. My content will be that much sharper, could be this much punchier. The accumulation of all those little tiny micro adjustments across the entire process, whether it be from concepting, scripting, production, casting, post-production, like all those little things add up to a massive difference. And I think is what like makes Harm Brothers stand out in terms of content quality is we try and employ that across all of our campaigns and all of our creative as much as we possibly can for every budget 
we have. At um, every step. At every step. I think that that's why our quality is what it is and why we're known for our quality is because of that process. And if you try and shortchange that or avoid it because you're trying to avoid creative pain, you're going to end up with a compromised product that's going to hurt your brand. It's going to hurt your bottom line. It's not going to work as effectively as an ad. That's the big piece of our puzzle that I think we want to talk about today and summarize Brain trust feedback and critical feedback and being vulnerable is really, really critical. Yeah, and implementing it makes you look better. <laughs> Honestly, like it makes your Amen. stuff it makes your stuff better. Like I remember as an editor, you know, at first kind of feeling threatened of wait, you don't like this part. This part's great, you know. I chose those cuts. <laughs> What's your problem? <laughs> but then it was like, okay, I'll try it. He was like, Oh, this did boost it, you know, and it's, yeah. it just benefits everyone to be able to take those ideas. And I think Daniel Harmon, give him the credit for always saying good ideas come from anywhere. Yeah. And he was really good at establishing that culture here of, hey, Scripty, what do you think? You know, mm-hmm. or hey, you know, motion graphics, dude, what do you think? And I think that that to his credit, he was very vulnerable and open to different solutions coming from different places. Well, Caitlin, I appreciate you coming on the podcast today and talking to myself as well as our listeners about our brain trust at Creative Feedback Process. I think it's, it's been really beneficial and been a great trip down memory lane. For sure. <laughs> I will uh, send you an email with my feedback on this experience. And I will gratefully <laughs> accept that feedback and implement it into our next podcast episode. Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> All right. See ya. Tired of playing catch-up on your marketing approach? Plan your whole year of ad content with our video strategy in a day. The Harmon Brothers are known for their ad work with Lumi, Purple, and Skullshaver, and now we're offering a 20-minute video that helps you strategize your best profit-pushing ad research, messaging, and testing for free. Because a win for great businesses is a win for all of us. Go to harmonbrothers.com forward slash video strategy to save future you a lot of stress with no pitch and nothing to buy.